Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to As a Woman, Episode 80, Skin Secrets with Dr. Christina Collins. Today, I am so excited to dive in to the life of a dermatologist, what it takes, what it is, and what she wants you to know. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hi, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am so thrilled to be talking with Dr. Christina Collins. So Christina is a good friend of mine. So in transparency, we are both female physician entrepreneurs here in Austin, and I just love every single thing about her. You are going to love this talk. We're going to talk about her story in medicine and becoming a dermatologist, what it's like being a dermatologist, what it's like being a female entrepreneur and owning your own practice and what she wants you to know about your skin. A little about her is she is a board-certified dermatologist, and she specializes in Mohs Micrographic Surgery, Surgical and Cosmetic Dermatology. She graduated summa cum laude from Barrett Honors College at Arizona State, and she had many prestigious scholarships. She got her medical degree from Vanderbilt, where she was valedictorian, not so shabby there. She was also named Tennessee Woman in Medicine of the Year after co-founding a free medical clinic for the uninsured in the Nashville area. Her brainchild and her first baby, Shade Tree Family Clinic, continues to grow and provide much-needed medical care to thousands of uninsured patients every year. She went on to complete her residency in dermatology at the Harvard Combined Dermatology Program, where she was trained in medical surgical management of skin disorders, and she had the opportunity to work at multiple prestigious hospitals around the Boston area, and she then completed Mohs Micrographic Surgery and Procedural Dermatology Fellowship, also at Harvard. In February of 2020, right before this COVID pandemic started, Along with her good friend and fellow female doctor, Dr. Sarah Gee, Christina started a patient-centered dermatology practice called Austin Skin. She's absolutely fabulous, been named best dermatologist in Austin many, many times, and I love their new personalized approach to dermatology care. If that sounds familiar, you know I'm a fan here in Austin. Hi, friends. So I am so excited. I have Dr. Christina Collins here, and as you just heard, 
in her amazing bio. Oh my God, girl, it's freaking, you're fantastic. I love you even more now. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) It's so funny because as a female physician, you like know people and they're your friends and you don't really think about all the things they did to get to this state. And then when they share their bio with you, you're like, fangirling over your own friends. It's really funny, but I'm just so proud of you. Thank you so much. (laughs) So I know everybody, you are the first, you know, dermatologist who's been on the As Woman podcast. And I think everybody's so excited. They've been asking for this one for a really long time. And so start out, I just want to go back and have you tell us a little bit about your story? Like, how did you go get into medicine? Did you always want to be a doctor? And how did you end up picking dermatology? Yeah, you know, so I was kind of one of those kids that was like practicing being a doctor on my care bears and stuff. My dad's a chiropractor and an acupuncturist and my mom's a nurse. So I think healthcare was something that sort of came naturally to me like, oh, that's what you do when you grow up, you become, you know, a healthcare provider. And I guess, um, but I did kind of the classic perfectionist thing. I'm like the telltale perfectionist. So I will try to make a decision and then my making a decision becomes this rabbit hole of indecision that <laughs> like go down forever. And so then, you know, I start thinking, well, maybe it would be better to do this other thing. Or then I start imagining myself a lawyer in a courtroom or, you know, in a business suit or something. And I'm just going down all of these different paths in my head. And I think finally ended up actually like I do, I feel like with all of these decisions that I kind of obsess over, I end up going back to kind of the original thought. And I, and I realized I really like helping people. I like that one-on-one interaction that we get with people. What I love about medicine is that while lots of people and lots of jobs help people, right? That's what, honestly, when you get down to the root, that's what most companies are providing a service. Most people are providing a service. Most people are helping people in some way, but in medicine, it's like special in that you're face-to-face with that person. It's the thank you right to your face and you're actually seeing your actions with the other person directly. And I love that. So I think that for me, I'm kind of, I guess I need a lot of like words of affirmation or something. I need a lot of encouragement. That's your love language, right? Yeah, so I picked a job where I'm basically getting like, you know, love and encouragement all day, every day. Um, So I think that's kind of like where I went to medicine. And then with dermatology, it was funny. It It was the same exact thing. I mean, I could not decide what I wanted. I think I have the personality that like likes a lot of stuff, right? So I'm kind of a cheerful, happy-go-lucky person, I would say in general. So every rotation, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this one. <laughs> the next one, I'll be like, yeah, okay, this one. That's, I'm going to be this kind of doctor. And I remember the, um, the dean of students actually called me in to his office because one week before our match applications were due, when you like declare what you're going to do, um, I was the only person that hadn't picked one. And, you know, oh my God. I love you. That's hilarious. You're, you're too much a planner. How did you do that? No, I am not. I'm actually like the least type A person, type A type person that you would ever be like so weird. Cause I seem like I would be this like, yeah. so you're a non-type A perfectionist. Yes. Ooh, you're yes. unique. Yeah, I'm like totally unorganized, like take forever to make a procrastinate and everything. So I'm sitting there. I'm just like, I don't know, Dean Rogers. Like, I really, I like lots of stuff. He goes, great, then pick one. They're like, you have to pick one. And so I had this boyfriend at the time who was like the worst boyfriend ever. But sorry, boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I just cringe. But he did do one important thing for me in my life, which was he told me about Mo's surgery, which is what I ended up doing. He was a plastic surgeon. 
And he said, you know, there's this really cool specialty. I don't, you might not have even seen it yet. And you do all these skin cancer procedures all day. You do plastic surgery, but you really have this other whole flexibility to your life that you wouldn't have in plastic surgery. And he just kind of said, you know, I think you'd really love it. It's really communicative. You see a lot of patients, you know, it sort of fits your personality of having a bunch of things going on. And I went and like the last week basically did a rotation (laughs) and I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do this. So it was the applications were due, I think Halloween night, like at midnight and I'm sitting there on the computer, like in an angel outfit, like, <laughs> like trying to get my thing in before. I mean, first of all, I already know this because I read your bio. I mean, you were like valedictorian of your med school class. So it yeah. takes a very special person <laughs> to be able to decide on Halloween as an angel, like this is what I'm going to do and match into a super competitive field, right? I mean, but I think what is the advice you give to applicants who are thinking about DERM? Maybe they have more awareness of derm now, because a lot of, you know, a lot of people are on social media and we're talking about our jobs. You probably would tell them not to wait till Halloween. To yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely is not a style of action that works for everyone. But actually, you know, what I will say is I think a lot of people think that they had to know since birth that they were going to do something. They had to, oh, they're way behind. They needed to get in the research lab, all this stuff. And you know what? That's not necessarily true because what I find is you know, I don't like research, right? I don't like, I love that people do it. It's not my thing. I never wanted to be in a lab doing research. So I think for me, it was so much more authentic. I was just doing things I love to do, like the free clinic that I founded. And I think that what is great about that is, you know, even though they weren't related to dermatology, when I would go to interviews and I would talk about how I spent my time in medical school, it was very clear that the way I'd spent my time was relevant to my own passions relevant to my own true kind of intentions. And I think for a lot of people, that's more interesting than if I had done like a bunch of dermatology research. Doesn't mean it's bad. You know, if you do know and you're able to prepare yourself, you're able to take that time to like really learn about dermatology, that's great. You know, and I and I think a lot of for a lot of people that's the successful path that they take. But I also think if you're somebody that didn't know, maybe weren't exposed to it, and then you realize later you want to do it. I think what you've been doing all along, if it's really helping people or if it shows passion or leadership, that is so important because, you know, it's because you can tell if you're that person that you're not just like checking these boxes that you do for the admission, they feel like they know you, you know, you were living an authentic life. You happened upon dermatology a week before applications. And now here we are, you know, and they, Yes, I love this so much because I always tell people your story needs to make sense. Right. The best way that it makes sense is because it's real. It's your story. It's the journey you went through. I didn't match into OBGYN. I actually loved everything also and couldn't decide. And I got advice to go into emergency medicine because you do a lot of different things. And you know, you kind of get to show up to work and leave. And it didn't fit me at all because I want to like really know my patients. Right. I didn't realize that until I was already an intern in the emergency room. And then I you know, wow. Finished that year, but I but I reapplied, went through the match again for OBGYN, <laughs> but I had no OBGYN stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I, yeah. so I think that I love that message that you don't have to have your whole life planned out, but if you have an idea of like what centers you, like why yeah. be a doctor or why go into medicine, mm-hmm. you're able to share why that's passionate. And I felt the same way. Like, well, here's my story. Like, I'm not. I'm an ER intern. 
applying to OBGYN because I want to take care of women and be really right. involved in their life. And that makes sense and resonates to people. So I think that's a really good point that versus just checking boxes and although research and stuff is another way to show commitment. If you do know yes. that doing things that you're passionate about is going to make you stand out the most. Yes, because I do. I think that's such a common question when you're in one of these specialties that are this like high, you know, high competition to get in specialties. And people are always like, well, what do I do to get it? Or how do I do it? And I, and I think it's always, you know, it's like this for any part of life. It's being authentic, you know, just doing, doing things that show you have motivation and passion and purpose. And you've got your whole life to be doing dermatology stuff. So if that, if you didn't happen into something that was relevant right in the beginning, that's okay. But you know, what are you as a dermatologist or a doctor? So if you're doing anything relevant to taking care of people, taking care of patients, giving, those are all things that you're going to use for your whole career, you know, regardless. I love that advice so much. So tell us a little bit about what it was like, like what, what's dermatology residency composed of? I have no idea. And then everybody who doesn't know Mose is really, really competitive. Like it's like creme de la creme of dermatology. So give us the lowdown of like what it is and what that fellowship was like. Yes. So my dermatology residency was kind of interesting because we had tons of inpatients we, um, I was at Harvard Dermatology Department and we had multiple hospitals that we covered on call all the time. So we were actually called in like so regularly overnight, um, anytime. Yeah. It's so, so weird. Well, this whole idea that like derm is super cushion. Yeah. Like don't buy that. In this particular case, no. And I, and I do think that there is a huge range in terms of, um, how frequent there are dermatology inpatients in different programs and things. So I think there's probably a few places where this is really just, it is the way it is. But, um, I actually really liked that because I felt like I got to see something of everything. I mean, even to this day, things stick out in my mind and something that's like a real clinical conundrum. It's like in my head, Oh my gosh, that was that one guy who we went in and saw at 2am for this. And, and I think every now and then when you can like in a critic, more critical situation, pull out some specialized knowledge like that, it's really that's when you really feel good about having done that a little bit more intense training program. Yeah, and the- I, I do think I'm interrupting you, then I'll let you get back because mm-hmm. I think that it understanding what how you learn, I'm gonna say like I learned by doing. So if I'd gone to a program that was like all textbooky learning and tons of academic time, like that really wouldn't have fit my needs. Like I had to go to a residency that was like crazy insane. I was at Parkland for OBGYN, crazy insane, busy, do, 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 do. And yeah, it's yeah. in your life, but it's better for Natalie, the doctor, because that's yeah. how I learn. You're probably exactly the same way. Same exact way. And actually that's, that's my best advice for learning, um, for medical students, residents, um, and even just in general doctors, as we move forward, the way I learn still to this day is the same way, the way I did in residency. I would have a patient with something and then Immediately after that clinic, I would look that thing up and read about it and just try to attach that memory of those facts to that patient in my head. And I still do that now, you know, after clinic, so I see something kind of unusual and I remember, oh, they wrote about that. So I immediately read it, attach it in my head to that patient. And it's so much easier for me to remember people than it is just to remember like a list of facts. So that's kind of the way that I've always learned too. I think that's great advice. So 
tell me this. I'm super curious. Like how many Moe's fellowship spots are there per year? Do you know the answer there? No, I have no idea. When I did my Moe's fellowship, there was one spot for the whole Harvard system, which included like BI, um, Brigham, MGH, and Leahy. Um, so in Dana Farber, you know, all those places, there was only one person per year that was a fellow. So it was definitely competitive. Um, but it was really cool. It's, um, so most surgery, just for people that might not know about it, because I definitely didn't before I actually went into it, but, um, it's a form of skin cancer removal where we go in and we remove what we see there. Then the patient actually waits on site while I check the specimen in the lab and I do the pathology in-house and I'm kind of become the pathologist at that point. So you, you're the surgeon, then you go and you do become the pathologist. Yeah. You go back to do surgeon again, if you, right? Yes. So oh, they, crazy, yeah, it's so fun. And so it's like, I have like multiple patients at different stages of the process going on at one time, because when we're waiting, the slides take a while to process and freeze the tissue and stain the tissue and all that stuff. So I'll have someone else in a different phase of their most process during that time. And so it's always moving and it's really fun. And basically I kind of map out what I'm seeing in the microscope so that I can go back and remove skin exactly where they still have skin cancer and kind of ink everything like that. And then once it's all clear, I do their repair. So it's really fun. The patients are with me for a long time. Sometimes they could even be there all day, theoretically. Um, So I get to know them so well because this whole time, you know, I'm taking extra stages or I'm doing their stitches and the repair we're just like chit-chatting the entire time. And I love that. So I'm kind of like, sometimes I feel like it's a way that I'm, I'm a surgeon, but I'm also this like small town, like old time doctor that like knows what all their six kids are named and like where, you know, where they went to school and what, you know, what they think the key to a good relationship is. Like I know all of this information. I, I'm fascinated because this is a way, like I can't even think of very many other fields where you get to, do surgery and very fine, precise surgery on patients while they're awake. So that in order to make them feel better about the process, you should talk to them. So you're sitting here being, having to be really personable and kind of talk them through the process by chit-chatting. I love it. While you're like micro-focusing on getting exactly the area of cells that were staining, whatever, right? Like this is insane. Yes, it's, it is kind of funny. It's one of those things where, you know, I do think that like my first, like that terrible boyfriend was like, so right. My personality really works. Boyfriend. I know. I'm like, wow. (laughs) So it's just, it's funny because, you know, it is kind of hard sometimes to chit chat during certain parts of the procedure. I mean, there could be like, you have to ligate a temporal artery so that it's not like squirting blood across the room. And it's like, meanwhile, like, so when's your granddaughter's wedding again? You know, <laughs> don't mind the blood over here. All is good. You're so, you're, I'm so impressed by you just like constantly. I get distracted. I'm like doing a follicle scan and IVF measuring them. And I'll yeah. like start trying to be chit chatty. And then somebody has a lot and then they're asking me questions and I'm like, hold on a second. Like I can't, my brain doesn't work that way. So I'm really, really impressed (laughs) that yours does. And I think it's so interesting how we get drawn to these fields, but maybe not initially, maybe you have to be exposed to them, but how well this suits your personality. Right. Yeah. I think there is something to that. There's these like personalities in different parts of medicine and you can kind of feel them out when you're in medical school, you know, you're like, okay, the neurologists are sort of analytical that, you know, everybody kind of has these different little niches. 
How long is most fellowship? So it's either one or two years after the dermatology residency, depending on the place. And um, I was really lucky, actually, when I was a second year dermatology resident, I was on my germ surgery fellowship um, at, with the Harvard system. And the fellowship director, she actually sat me down the last day of my rotation. And she was like, listen, we want for you to do your most fellowship here. So yeah, I was like peeing my pants. So <laughs> I'm like, hold it together, hold it together. You know, big big dog wants to talk to you. Like I, I at least do this. Like I immediately will in my head think that I'm in trouble. Like I did something yeah. wrong. I'm like, what I do? What I do? So um, she's like, we need to meet the last day, and I'm kind of like, okay, you know, sounds good. And so she's like, we really want you to do your most fellowship here. So what that would look like is you would agree to do it here and we wouldn't do the match that year. Dream come true right there. Like, Great. Where do I sign? She's like, no, you know, just go home and think about it. Like, Let me sign right now before you take it back. Yeah. Give me some paper now. But yeah, so I didn't actually have to apply to most fellowship. And so that's another tidbit out of advice I'd say, just that you never know, you know, each rotation when you're resident, you never know where a relationship with a mentor is going to take you. And um, she's been, this woman has been just an amazing mentor for me, like a mom, call it Mama Ulbricht. And she, she's she been a huge supporter for me. So I'd say like, oh, she's going into those rotations, just ready to do your best and, you know, try your hardest. You might not know that you're interviewing for your fellowship right then, but you may well be. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. 
That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited that summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. Mm -hmm. Same thing. I totally agree. The whole way through medical school too, you may feel like you're just the lowly med student and like nobody's paying attention to you, but you have the opportunity to make an impression that could change the course of your career. And what it's hard to see when you're a med student that these fields, as you get further up, they're like so small. Like I know so many REIs, you probably know so many different most surgeons in places the field gets you get narrow it's all about relationships and connections so you can't pass up those opportunities and things matter so trying to show the best side of yourself and work hard Mm -hmm. is constantly important in medical training yeah and i found that you know women in medicine have been just along the way so willing to help me i mean you know, especially in, you might find, especially probably in fields where there's a lot more men kind of in the top spots, top places, the women that are there are so ready to help that next generation of women come forward and be part of that specialty in that field. So I'm really, um, so this is interesting because I don't necessarily feel like it's been that way in OBGYN. And I know that at a lot of times there's this idea in medicine in some fields or just in academia that there's only so many seats at a table and like a woman gets to hold one of them. So viewing younger women almost as competition or that they may, you know, take their seat. And I always, I'm like, feel the opposite. I'm like, there's room for all of us. And if I can bring you up and we can all sit at the table, that's helping women across the board. So it's really encouraging to hear your experience being Mm -hmm. different that you felt like women above you were super supportive along the way. Is that right? Yeah. And I think that something could be said of, you know, in OBGYN, there are lots of women and but a lot of men at the top. And a lot of men at the top. That's right. And dermatology has a lot of women, but not as it's with most, there was maybe more men. And so um, I, sometimes it's just finding like one or two key mentors, you know, that, but, but the one to woman competition is just, it is an interesting thing. And I, I think that in a lot of ways um, we're almost like set up from birth to be in competition with each other in these like weird ways. And I think that that just kind of continues on unless people really stop and kind of change their own thinking and it always starts with ourselves like 
you know, we can't see each other as competition. We need to see each other, that there's room for everybody. We're all different people. We're not the same people, person. And um, that's, that's something that like, I would say the female to female competition is something that is I've experienced as well in my life. Um, although I did have these great female mentors and I think like in medical school and in um, residency, but more just in peer groups, um, having that sense of this competition, this competition that you don't know what the, yeah, what are we competing in, you know? And, and it's, it's kind of fascinating in a way you can see it come out even like, even just in completely unrelated ways, you know, with sort of social media, I'm sure like you see it all the time. Like someone does like a weird comment or like a, you know, kind of weird flex and you're like, oh, wait, what? Yeah, like we can both be successful. Like my success doesn't make yours any less valid. Right. But I agree. I think that's one of the biggest things. Anyways, I'm, I think one, find a mentor. I tell everybody that you've got to find a mentor preferably a woman, but doesn't have to be a woman, but preferably a woman who wants to help bring you up with her. Like that can be career changing. And I did find some in like residency and fellowship, but I feel like before that, that played a lot into why maybe I chose emergency medicine. I didn't really have female mentors. People were like, oh, OBGYN, surgery. Those aren't lifestyle friendly fields. You don't want to do those. ER is shift work. But having, you know, another woman who's on your team can be really, really helpful. But I don't think like there's just no room for the comparison game. Like, I don't think it really gets us anywhere. And I feel like if we can help each other and celebrate wins and amplify each other, we're all going to like all women are going to look better. Like it just makes so much sense. Right. You're so good at that, though. I mean, you really are good. I mean. At just sharing your knowledge base and sharing sharing what you've learned with other women. Because I know I learned so much from you from the social media aspect of things, and I know I appreciate that. I know tons of there's all these people just all over that appreciate that because it really does make a difference and it stands out. You know, it still does. It stands out when when a woman is really interested in supporting other women. It's um, a special thing, and I think everyone really grows as a result. You're so sweet. You know, I have an episode of the podcast called Mean Girl in Recovery because I feel like I had to like age to come into this place of being like, we're not competing. Like we're all on the same team. Let's start acting like it. I want to know if you have felt like, you know, on the the med bikini kind of stuff coming out about, you know, being a woman in medicine, have you felt at times, you know, that gender disparity or discrimination, you know, what's been your there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can remember just tracing back to, I mean, <laughs> you know, even growing up, you kind of people who would maybe say things like, oh, well, why do you want to be a doctor? Why don't you like marry a doctor? You know, just weird comments, offhand comments. And um, when I was in med school, I remember people saying I was in surgery one time in the urology department where I received like tons of sexual harassment. Gross, right? And I was like, what the heck is going on? You know, lots of crude, lots of crude um, things said. And, and I remember at one point the surgeon was like, you know, Christina, you're really skilled, you know, with hands and you are smart. You're at the top of your class. You're clearly capable of becoming a surgeon, but I just want you to know that, you know, or do you want to have a family? And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, I think so. You know, I'm 25 years old, so I'm not like, 
people in medicine, especially those who are supposed to be teaching us, you know, portray this idea that it's either or that you can't (laughs) do both. And anyways, it pisses me off all the time. Look at you, badass Mo surgeon (laughs) and a mom doing it all. Just like to shove it into his butt. But I know I would love to, but you know, I think women have had these comments all the time. You know, there's so much, you know, let's say they do have a child during training and then there's this huge pushback and um, there's this kind of stigma where, you know, when you're at work as a woman, if you are even considering your family or you're trying to change, you know, take your family number one at some point, then, then, oh my God, you know, you're not committed enough to work. Yeah, I've heard that, you know, at jobs like, oh, if you're putting your family before the practice or your patients mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, 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 I am like, that's I, really what I'm doing. That's okay. I, and then at the same time, like if you're missing something, you know, with your kid and your husband's the one that always takes them to the, takes you to the doctor or whatever it is, then it's kind of this other backlash of like, oh, well, you're not a good enough mom. And I think we always have this, like, are we good enough in both kind of places of our lives, both in our career and also at home? I agree with that. You know, I really do feel like the fir- my first couple of years in private practice, my husband did everything for the kids, dropped them mm-hmm. off at school, picked them up, took them to the doctors, just because I wasn't at a practice that would accommodate any of those yeah. things. And that's a hard thing to learn too, about like picking your job and what do you need and what's all out there. So let's transition. Did you come to Austin, like right out of fellowship? Was this your first job or what did you yeah. do after fellowship? I worked um, for a private practice in Massachusetts for the first two years after my fellowship and it was a great private practice, but I just really wasn't happy living in the Northeast. I had always imagined that I would like move to LA after finishing fellowship. Um, I grew up in Arizona. So that was sort of like what you do from Arizona is you move to LA. Yeah. And my husband, of course, he's a Boston guy through and through. He was born and raised there. And he, in his head, he was like, Boston or New York are the only two cities in the country. Basically, that's kind of what he said. And we were already married and I, we had this discussion like, okay, well, I guess I'll start applying to jobs in LA. He's like, what? No, we're living in. I didn't tell you that we were moving to LA. We didn't have that talk. Yeah. It was like one of those amazing moments where like, wow, that was something we really should have talked about before. (laughs) My mom's like, what were you talking about? I don't know the language of love. I'm not sure. Words of affirmation. I mean, not where we would live. So um, anyway, we, I kept getting this job offer in Austin and it was really good offer. I mean, it was for a lot of most cases um, really kind of beyond what was, uh, anything else was out there. And we'd heard so much about Austin being a great place to live. And so we kind of said, okay, we'll go for two years and then we'll just, we'll duke it out the whole time. And then we'll figure out <laughs> where we move. And we just loved it so much. We decided to stay. So I had this I I started working for a large group practice, um, had huge number of cases, you know, over the last several years here in Austin, I've done more than 10,000 most cases. And, um, it was a great, it was a good job for that, for that time period of my life for me. And, um, our company was actually um, purchased by private equity group 
a couple of years ago, which definitely changed the dynamic for me and um, kind of changed the satisfaction level for me at the practice. So at that point, I started thinking about moving on to start my own thing. So for the younger listeners who don't understand this whole concept that's happening a lot. So it happened at the practice I was at Mm -hmm. and happened at the practice you were at here. So we're talking about, you know, REI and Durham, very, very different fields about private equity. You know, so how would you explain what that is to somebody who's younger? Yeah, I would say, you know, basically you have kind of these capital firms and they are buying and selling healthcare practices. And their goal is obviously to make their group as big as it can be before an ultimate event, which these events are sales events. So it really changes a lot of things about the practice of medicine. And of course, there's laws about corporate practice of medicine for this reason. Um, However, there's a lot of ways to kind of... Fine lines, fine lines, right? And so you basically have these corporate groups, essentially almost like banks that don't really have anything much to do with healthcare in many cases, buying and selling healthcare practices. And it's run by business people who aren't physicians, who don't necessarily understand the ins and outs. I had no idea like this was a thing when I was in training, really, to be honest. And right. And so that yeah. most physician practices aren't like truly physician owned anymore and a lot of right. things. Right. And it and it's interesting because, you know, if let's say hypothetically this corporate group, you know, their primary goal is to make money, right? I mean it's like, business, business, right. business. Yeah. So um for a doctor owning a healthcare practice or clinic, most likely, hopefully in most cases, their primary goal is to Take help people. Patients. Yeah. And so right there at the baseline, you have this kind of like non-working platform between the people working there because the goal that like central mission bringing it together isn't the same. And, you know, the best medical practice isn't necessarily the cheapest one, the one that costs the least to run. The best doctor isn't necessarily the one that spends the least amount per patient seen. And that is a really hard concept to break through because in, at the end of the day, if, if they, if the company can't trust you as a doctor in terms of knowing what the needs of your patients are, then where do you find that common ground to work on anything? Exactly. Just like anything in life. I agree with this so much is, you know, what is your goal? And mm-hmm. if you're joining a medical practice, you know, outside of really any job, especially in medicine, so you're getting out of training, you're looking at other jobs. Sometimes these corporate practices are really appealing because they, you know, have money to spend on recruiting and this and that. But I think it's really important to understand what the goals of the practice, no matter if it's physician owned or corporate. My first practice was physician owned. It wasn't corporate, but we had very different goals. So it doesn't matter what it is, but what are the goals of that practice and what are your goals? And are they the same or are they not? And if they're not, are they competing? Because if they're competing, you're not going to last, you know? So really having an honest discussion, at least amongst yourself and thinking about with the company or the doctors or whoever's running it, um, that's huge. And it's really, so I, I really, this is like, I think we've been leading up for 30 minutes to build into like, so you started your own practice. So, I mean, like month, month before pandemic, you open a practice, right? I, I, girl, I, I mean, it's so funny, but yeah, you know, it was crazy. It's like, 
like I said, I'm super happy-go-lucky type of person. And I knew I wasn't happy at my job, but um, I felt so much pressure just to keep doing it because I was financially rewarded at that job. And I felt, you know, my husband doesn't work. He stay-at-home dad. I um, had just, I bought a house for my parents when I had Maya so that they could move from Arizona, you know, helping support with my nephew and having Maya, you know, and just thinking about her future. And I felt so much pressure just to keep things moving that I just was having trouble thinking about making a change. Cause like, what if I failed? You know, what if I yeah, create like the rocking the boat has a lot of these unknown what ifs, which are, which are scary when you're yeah. the primary breadwinner for your family yes. and you have kids and responsibility. What will we do? Am I going to screw everyone over if I, you know, if I change? And I just remember one day it was November, um, 2019 and I got done with work and I had just had a lot of conflict with the um, corporate group about some decisions at the practice. And I, and just the way that the patients, um, I guess, were communicating to me about the phone system. And there were just so many things. I felt like I had apologized all day. And I got into the car and I started crying. And like, just so everybody's clear, like, I'm not a get in the car and cry person. Like, I probably cried like you know, twice in the last 20, like 12 months. I mean, I just don't know. Yes. I'm just sitting there <laughs> and I just sat there and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this is crazy. Christina, you worked way too long and way too hard to be sitting in your car crying after work. Like this is psycho, you know, it's psycho to stay in this situation. So I, um, basically texted my mom and my husband, Matt, and I was like, guys, here's the deal. I'm crying in my car <laughs> and I'm quitting, I'm quitting my job and I'm going to have to just start my own practice. And that's what's happening. I would like you guys to discuss it with yourselves before you write anything back. If you have any negative feedback, because I am very sensitive right now. <laughs> I love you so much. If you have negative feedback, please keep it to yourself for 24 hours. I'm very emotional. So basically they both kind of texted back and like such a cool, you know, there's like, um, my husband's like, girl, you should have quit that job years ago. Just my mom's like, whatever you think is the right answer, you know? So I just said, okay, let's do it. So then I called Sarah G who's my partner. She's been a friend of mine for a long time. We did residency together. So we've known each other for 10 years So cute. and she had come to join our practice with me. And, um, Anyway, I called her and I was kind of like sniffly and I'm like, Sarah, I have to tell you something. I'm, I'm going to quit the job. I'm sorry. And she's like, are you crying? She's like, wait a minute. Uh, so, you know, she's like, yes, a little. She's like, this is just crazy. She's like, I'm quitting too. <laughs> Love it. So anyway, we opened our practice basically February, 2020. And then of course COVID hit, you know, a month later. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing here is it's really scary to think about opening your own practice and all the what ifs and medicine makes it really hard, especially the bigger the practice. I mean, there's non-competes and buyouts and solicits and all these things that when you sign a contract, you literally have like no idea you 
could or would be on the other side of them, right? right? Um, that make you like, I think you guys have been had your practice outside of your radius, right? So you have a radius with a non-compete, which is a set yeah. amount of miles you have to be away from your old practice, right? Right. Yes. It's led you to adorable Smithville. We love it. Yeah, it's really cute. Um, Smithville's great. And it's, it does capture a lot of patients that we had at our last practice, which is awesome. And also just branches out even more to rural Texas, where we are really both passionate about patient access to care and access to dermatology is a huge issue just nationally. I mean, it's, it's hard for patients to get into dermatologists. So we both care a lot about that. And um, we have a lot of, of need out there, which is so amazing. And then we're going to be opening an Austin location, actually, um, this fall. So, yeah. Or do we know? Is it getting COVID pushed back? It was going to be August, but because of all these COVID delays and things, um, it looks like it's going to be November. But we're super excited about having the two locations so we can kind of, as many of our patients that want to come see us that were convenient to them and also finding new patients in these locations too. I am so excited for you. Thank you. What about um, advice, you know, to young women about being an entrepreneur? I never really thought this would be something that I would be doing. I don't know if you ever kind of foresaw that in your future, but here you are. What yeah. do you have advice for younger women about this? You know, it's interesting because for me, my journey in entrepreneurship is sort of like drinking water out of a fire hose at this point, <laughs> because, because I just sort of, I decided to not only start my skincare line, but also start my practice at the same time, which is kind of the way that I do everything. Wait, I didn't know you had a skincare line. Like yes. how, you guys tell us about, okay, well, you can finish so, the first thing. Yeah. So I guess, you know, in terms of my advice, I would say my advice for an entrepreneur would be to do things the way that you need to do them based on what works for you. I think I read a lot of articles about like why you should get up 30 minutes earlier in the morning and do this and this beforehand, why you need to do this and this. For me, I know a couple of things. One, I'm never going to be a morning person. I mean, I can force myself to do it, but it's not my natural status. So for me to get up earlier to work out before work and this and that is probably not going to happen. And it sets myself up for if I try to make it happen for a month and then I quit afterwards, kind of sets yourself up for just losing confidence or feeling disappointed. So I would say know yourself. If you're a night owl, cool. That's fine. Don't let anyone tell you you can't finish your stuff at night or you can't do your, you know, Peloton at night or whatever it is that works for you. Um, I'm also somebody who's very like a little bit ADHD in a way I jumped to this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. And so for me, having one project at a time actually is hard because it's hard for me to make that commitment and to keep working on that one thing. If you have two projects going on at the same time, you can always procrastinate on one while you do the other and you're still <laughs> So that kind of makes you more productive by having yeah. multiple things going on. Whereas mm -hmm. for some people, it's like distracting to have multiple yes. projects. Yes. So I think, I think that the key to entrepreneurship, like the key to almost everything in life is just knowing yourself, trusting yourself, letting your traits, whatever they are, be your best traits, right? Because all of us have all these like character traits and personality traits and in the right amount with the right balance, there are 
the things that are wonderful about us, the things that make us an individual. When you take any good trait to an extreme, it can become a negative trait. So, you know, you can be really opinionated and passionate if you take it to an extreme where you could be, you know, judgmental and, and stifling of other people. If you could be, um, really good at multitasking, but you take it to extreme and you've, you never got anything done on anything. So I think, I think basically knowing how to highlight the things that make you special is that's always going to be the key to someone's success because you're never going to be better at being someone else doing it their way as you would be doing your thing your way. Yeah. Like tap into your authenticity, right? Like the things Mm -hmm. that make you, you and be honest about your pros and your cons and set yourself up for success. Right. Exactly. Okay. We're going to get into skin secrets because I think that's what everybody wants to hear. But before we dive there, just because a huge part of the podcast is about, you know, fertility and motherhood, mm-hmm. what was your take on, you know, your journey to becoming a mom in medicine? You know, was that something you already yeah. said that surgeon told you you couldn't do it and you knew that was something you thought you wanted to do? You yeah. Know, your kind of experience about when you became a mom, you, you waited till after training was done. Is that right? I did. I actually waited a long time. And I think it's kind of, you know, I finished residency and fellowship and start working and I'm working tons of hours and just really like pounding the pavement. And also just enjoying I have income now, right? So like for the first time I can go to dinner, I can go on a vacation, woo, just like living the life and kind of work and play and work and play. And I think it was really hard jump for me to decide to become a mom because even though I knew through in the back of my head, like I want to become a mom and I want to have kids, it was hard to like, okay, now we're going to start doing that because I felt like, you know, in your training, you have no freedom really, you know, like kind of like on everybody else's clock. And I was, I thought now that I have freedom, do I really want to hand it back right now? You know, I remember I was talking with a patient of mine who's really bubbly, older lady, just funny older lady. She reminds me a lot of myself. And I was about 37, had just turned 37. And I was asking her if she had kids. And she um, had said, you know, no. She's like, you know, me and my husband, we had always kind of thought we would. But then we just, we were doing this and that. And we were so busy and just, just one year went to the next and then we couldn't cause I kind of waited too long and I was older and it was crazy because I went home from work that day and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I thought, Oh my God, you know, like there is, it is true. There is a finite amount of time. And, and if you want that to happen, there is a point where you have to say, okay, like let's do it. And we did kind of soon after sort of start having, you know, trying to have kids and first Maya, we were able to get pregnant, you know, really right away. And so I had her when I was, um, I had her just before I turned 38, um, like a month shy of my birthday. So, um, oh, fertile myrtle, here we go. Yeah. I was like, great. See, I knew I do. <laughs> and then actually my maternity leave, it's funny. It was like this amazing time for me because, um, my mom was there. She would come over at night, help me overnight. And my husband would stay at home dad. It just made me think a lot. I wish that in our country, you know, both parents had the opportunity to stay home on paid leave. Because for me, when I look back, I took six weeks off for maternity leave, which is pretty short, but it, you know, it's just what I thought I could handle at that time. Um, I remember the week before I was going back to work, I was looking at my husband and I just kind of like randomly came out of my mouth and like this last month has been the best month of my life. 
And I really felt like that because it was just simple, you know, like we were just taking care of this little baby and I was napping during the day. Like if you know me, like watching TV during the day and napping during the day is not something that normally would mind me doing. I'm just walking around the neighborhood. I just, it was just like idyllic time in my life, you know, and I had my mom. And I think a lot of times with today's society, we lose that feeling of that our tribe and our, you know, our group and our, you know, and our social unit and the the generations of care of people and I really felt like I was in like my little family tribe, you know, at that moment in my life. And, and I wish, you know, I wish everyone could have that experience. And then I went back to work just kind of full, full out, full course. And then we had started trying to get pregnant again this year. And of course, this year is more difficult, right? I'm older now, I'm 40. And I know you see me as a patient. And, um, you know, I've had two miscarriages this year trying to get pregnant. And just it's not it's not maybe as easy as it was at age 37 and so of course you go through those feelings of yikes did I put my career too much ahead of my family life did I wait too long you know all these things and I don't I don't think that those things are true at all but as a woman you know you definitely your tendency is to anything that's kind of unplanned or not going well I think our tendency at least mine is just to kind of like find that flame of myself, you know, women do so much self flame. And I think, you know, we're of this generation where when we were in medical training and young enough to egg freezing was still experimental. You couldn't go do it. Right. So Mm -hmm. there was no option. You were either ready to have kids or you weren't ready to have kids. Like that was like a line in the sand. And one thing I see a lot is that women kind of felt like, well, training is busy and I want to get through training. I want to learn as much as possible. And then you get out of training. And just like you said, you have freedom, but also your life is crazy learning how to be a doctor outside of training, like taking six weeks off, which is like long for medical, you know, for for doctors to take for leave is sounds impossible, you know, in your first few years of practice, it's not impossible, but it feels that way very often. And there's pressure very often from groups or different things as well, that it'd be hard to be off during those times. Um, So I think that like we're of this, I'm hopeful that the younger generation as people talk about fertility and it's empowering, will consider things like, oh, I'm not ready yet. Maybe I'll just freeze my eggs and then it won't be as hard for me later, but we're a little older. So that wasn't quite our story. I know. And you know, it's funny because with the quarantine this year, I mean, we had to close down for like seven weeks because in Texas, I'm sure you have listeners from other places, we couldn't do medical procedures for these seven weeks of time that Texas said no. And it was crazy because I would never have taken seven weeks off of work to stay home in my life. I mean, I cannot imagine doing that. And it sort of just forced this time. And actually it was really as much as 2020 has been kind of <laughs> wrecked, savage, like, oh my God, you're that was kind of right. on a roller coaster ride. Like, um, as much as that's the case, and there's these things that have happened, you know, with our trying to start a family and all this, you know, all this stuff, as much as that's the case, um, it's been kind of good for me too. And I feel like I got to go back and kind of have that experience again at home that I felt when I had my maternity leave. And, you know, my daughter got all obsessed with me. She's like mommy obsessed now. And I'm simply like, every time she wants me instead of that, I'm like, <laughs> secretly happy inside. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. I've really, I mean, obviously we had this pandemic project of starting a new practice, but the same way, just like I had been traveling a ton and doing all these other things and just kind of getting all of that canceled yeah. and like wiping the slate clean of all these 
there's no more gymnastics and ballet class and baseball practice and like all this stuff just evaporated and we just got to hang out together as a family. Um, I've, I've loved it, which is crazy, but you really do as your kid, you know, as Maya gets older, you'll see like, then you get wrapped into this whole, like all her little activities and stuff. And that like, you know, you want your kids to have experiences, but there's something nice about, it's just us. We're just going to play in the pool today. That's what we're going to do. Or we're going to go for a walk or get a puppy or whatever. So I've kind of enjoyed it. Okay. So you um, gave me Botox and yeah. it's, fa- it's fabulous. I mean, for you guys who are like watching on YouTube, it's fabulous. fabulous. Um, I had gotten Botox once. I think I told you this when you did mm-hmm. it. I was 24 and it was before I got married. So I was in medical school and I was doing my internal medicine rotation with a woman who was very lovely, but she did a lot of like aesthetic stuffs in her office. And she literally yeah. sat me down and was like, let me do Botox on you. And maybe that was not a great idea, like right before the wedding. But you know, when you're in med school, you feel pre- you're like, you're not going to say no. Like that didn't feel like an acceptable. Yeah, but it was like <laughs> I, know, I know. So I was like, okay, um, sure. And, but like I was had 24 year old skin. I didn't really know, notice yeah. from it. You but, call it 24 year old skin, by the way, like doing your Botox is like doing Botox on a like junior hike. I love you. You're too sweet. No, um, no wrinkles. Oh no, but I'm like, look, yay. I, yeah. used to, I used to joke that I'd like train myself to smile without wrinkling my forehead. So it wouldn't like wrinkle faster. But now it, anyways, so you were fabulous with the Botox, but I think everything I get asked all the time, like all the time, skincare routines, skincare secrets. What do I need to do to take care of my skin, especially for younger women? And I, I'm always like, I'm not a skin expert. I'm just a girl who wears sunscreen and uses a hat. Like that's literally like the limit of my advice, but I want to hear from you. Let's kind of talk about, you know, advice when you're younger about like Botox and things like that, whatever else. And apparently the skincare line. Okay. go. Yes. Yes. So, you know, for general skincare type of advice, how do I take care of my skin as we get older? I would say your advice actually they're giving of wear sunscreen and a hat is so critical. I mean, if you want to see the effects of kind of the sun on your skin, you can hold your forearm up to your stomach and take a look. And it's like, you're, you're going, Oh my gosh, my whole body could look like my stomach. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, because there's just, you don't have the brown spots, the white spots, the, you know, broken capillaries, the wrinkles, all that stuff. So sun protection is so important. Um, I also think hydration is important. It's important to be healthy, to um, nourish your body with healthy food and nutrients. A lot of dermatologists say like, oh, no, that doesn't you know affect anything. But for me, I mean, it's a human body. How can we think that what we put into it doesn't affect? Yes, 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 yes. And um, I'm super into um, just ways we can marry kind of Eastern and Western medical ideas. You know, I grew up with a dad that's a chiropractor and acupuncturist. So I've always sort of had that respect for quote unquote, like holistic medicine and And I still incorporate that now. You know, I think we have to look at the person as like a whole person, not just like this spot on their skin. And why is their skin looking the way it is? And, you know, how can we get glow? We have to be healthy from the inside. So I would say that's really important. Um, I'm against overwashing the skin. Nothing too harsh. Um, I think people really break down their natural um, like biomes, which like the bacteria and things that live on our skin normally they also live in our guts that people are always talking about now the gut microbiome yeah. 
Um, I think that stuff's really important, actually. And it, we're all just now starting to really learn about that in more detail. But um, nothing ever too harsh. I, I don't think that, you know, if you have makeup on, it's good to remove it with like some coconut oil or mild, mild soap. But um, otherwise, you know, water is sufficient to wash your skin. And then I'm into moisturizing just because I have dry skin. But you always want to look for something that suits your skin type. You know, if you're more acne-prone skin versus then you get more clarifying type things. Or if you have dry skin, you'll get more, you know, emollient things like I do. And then in terms of treatments, I'd say first and foremost, one thing that's really important for people to know is they should definitely try to seek out a board-certified dermatologist, plastic surgeon, you know, someone like that to um, do their treatments. So there's tons of medical spas. There's tons of people kind of practicing out of scope in that arena. And um, you might be able to get a better deal, but you, you could, you know, end up having more complications or just not being totally happy. Yeah. With- like it's not about going to the cheapest place or the closest yes. place. Like it's worth it. This, and I always think about your face, like this is your face. people. Right. Like right. I mean, you're, you really need to be able to trust who mm-hmm. is working on it. And I always think about like myself as a gynecologist, like, I don't know face anatomy, even though I learned it in med school, like, I don't know right. it. Right. And I'm oh. a really smart, educated physician. So I think yeah. that that should be something left to the experts. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and I think, you know, for lots of people ask, when should I start having cosmetic things done? And, you know, I think you can kind of really start throughout your life in terms of, you know, doing the skincare at home, doing little peels or facials or things. And then a lot of people actually start getting Botox even in their 20s now to prevent lines. And it really just depends on your face and how your face is aging. Once you start seeing that the line is sort of sticking there and you are seeing it in the mirror, that's probably when you want to start getting in to have some preventative like neurotoxin treatments because at that point, you can do a lot to prevent the aging process for people, but it's a little bit harder once someone comes in maybe later with these things etched in to make something look natural um, while still treating them. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Let's dive into Botox first. And we're going to go, we're going to back up and then go through more things. So if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm posting the video, which is us being silly in the office, but where Christina is actually injecting me and I'm like trying to keep my eyes open and watch because I'm (laughs) I had just, I was thinking about that later. I was like, I probably should have done your Botox before I had like all that blood drawn out of my heart and like the vaginal ultrasound. So good. Um, No, it's so good. But I think like, so people who don't know, so what is Botox? So Botox is basically, they take um, these neurotoxins that are made, that are synthesized from botulinum toxin, which is made by bacteria. And they get it into a safe form and you inject it into the muscles. So by doing so temporarily for, you know, three to five months will cause that muscle to be paralyzed. Um, so it softens your face. So, so you have kind of wrinkles that come from two different things on your face, right? One thing could be from moving your muscles and that causes a lot of these furrows here and these like lines across here and these ones here. And, um, <laughs> You don't have many of them. <laughs> and then you um, you can also get wrinkles from losing volume and from gravity, laxity, and those things would be treated more with fillers. So we'll do a lot of fillers in kind of the cheek and back in the lateral jaw to sort of like stretch back a little bit. And um, so there's kind of two different ways to go um, for the wrinkling of the face. And both are useful in different ways and for different reasons. 
So I think one thing you said about Botox that was really important earlier on was that it is best as a preventative. Like, yes, if you already have deep set wrinkles, perhaps it can help, but truly you can see the most benefit from it before they like really are set in permanently. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't mean, let's say you waited too long and it doesn't mean you're, there's no help helping you. Um, we can certainly do a lot, even if they're already etched in there, but it is a little bit easier to keep it natural looking. If someone just kind of has a skincare program they're following throughout the years. And the best way to do that is just by having that clinical relationship with you board certified dermatologist. So you can kind of continue aging gracefully your own way with that person. Um, it's funny because as a feminist, I've had to kind of go through my own thought process in terms of what I do for a living. Um, because you know, and also just how I am, right? Like I like to curl my hair. I like makeup. I like nice clothes. I like to wear heels. And I've had this kind of thought process for over many years of kind of how do I balance my views as a feminist with kind of being in the beauty industry with my job and then now starting a skincare line. And I think that for me, it's funny, the answer came this really weird way. I'm, I'm interested in a lot of like Native American history. Um, I just love stuff like that. So I was reading about Cherokee history and I happened across this cool like saying poem called Walk with Beauty. And it, it, you'll have to look it up sometime, but it basically the premise of it that they believe in is it's our job to notice the beauty that's all around us. And it's our job to appreciate the beauty that's everywhere in this world. And as part of that job is us projecting our own beauty outward. And I, that just, it just went, it was like this aha moment for me where I learned, I felt, you know, my job in the beauty industry is to help women feel beautiful in their own way. So I'm all about really natural changes for people that help them feel like themselves, right? Like yeah. I think all women, like we have these moments where you get older and you look in the mirror like, huh? <laughs> Is that me? Right. And, you want to yeah. feel like your outside's reflecting who you are on the inside. And I agree with, I love that, you know, how you just explained about like walk with your beauty and let your beauty show. I mean, things like I love to curl my hair and part of it is like, I feel more confident. Like that's a better projection of me. Like I'm that if I'm going to get up on stage and give a talk, I'm going to have on lipstick and my hair curled and heels because like, that's my power suit of trying to let my inside show. Yep, exactly. And I think, I think that's, you can see it happen with other people. You know, if you help them kind of feel like the woman that they think that they are, you know, and they, they, they think they should be seeing in the mirror, you can see that like light up that confidence. And they've even done studies with Botox where they've shown that teachers have received better, um, what, what do you call evaluations at the end of the year after getting Botox. Ooh, and course, they look less angry. You think yeah, they, they could have been less angry and they also just could have aimed happier. They could have been projecting more, been more confident, confident and happy. Women have been expected to get like a job or a promotion. And it's like, that's not the Botox. It's the woman, you know, and it's, it's there. It's them feeling like something has made them feel more confident letting their beauty show. That's you. The something is you. You mm -hmm. are letting them make their beauty show. Like that. Yeah, it's all you. Um, what are some, because you mentioned, you know, go to a board certified dermatologist or, you know, plastic facial surgeon or somebody for your Botox. So what are some of the complications that can happen from Botox? Yeah. So the, fortunately, because Botox is temporary, the complications with Botox are temporary also. So um, people can have drooping of their eyelids or <laughs> eyebrows where it's hanging down. 
Um, things like that, where they're just not happy with the way that it looks. You'll see people like they're really arched like this. And so it's just not looking natural. It's not looking, it's not enhancing the natural shape of their brow. Um, with fillers, um, which are dermal fillers made it kind of like hyaluronic acid substitutes most of the time. Um, the complications can be more lasting, you know, making infection tracts, sinus tracts. Yeah. Um, necrosing vessels. So an intra-arterial injection of filler can lead to, you know, necrosis of skin. So like your face necrotic, like dead skin on your face. Everybody just hear that dead skin on your face. (laughs) Terrible. Yeah. Lasers of course have tons of scarring complications. And I think, you know, as a board certified dermatologist that does procedural dermatology specifically. I've of course managed a lot of these complications for other people because when you're at this med spa and you get something done, they are not going to have the skills to manage that complication for you. So that, that in and of itself, I think if you're somewhere that doesn't have the person treating you is not someone managing that would be managing that complication, then, um, definitely you want to want to go somewhere with better, um, more well-trained providers. For sure. Um, I want to circle back for a minute because we talked about, you know, Botox and procedures. So we, we talked about my amazing advice about sunscreen and a hat. And I think there's a lot in the news about sunscreen and I get asked different questions, you know, there's chemical and there's mineral sunscreen. Like, do you have like a little blurb about, Hey, so what should I be looking for in my sunscreen? Yeah, actually, you know, again, I feel like I keep bringing up these like hippie dippy things, but I am kind of like a hippie, hippie doctor. And I I do prefer natural, um, types of skincare. So, um, we don't really know how, what would happen with all of these like chemicals in the sunscreens that are in a certain amount, they're measurable in blood. Right. It's probably fine, right? But but the reality is we don't really know over the course of like years and years what is the effect of being exposed to this many chemicals. And so I really prefer sunscreens that are what we call physical blockers. Um, those would be made out of titanium dioxide or zinc oxide. They're essentially like covering your skin. Whereas versus chem- chemical blockers, they react have a reaction with your skin from which the sunscreen um, some sunscreen effect happens. So. Um, I personally like physical blockers. I also like really natural skincare for my own skincare line that's coming out, which is called Foy by Dr. Collins. Um, the entire skincare line has the facial line has no preservatives whatsoever. Um, the, the individual products are coming in daily use by, um, biodegradable capsules. So there's absolutely no toxins or anything in the products and they're kind of married Western ideas like retinol, which is great to use nightly. That's another tip I have. Um, with really more Eastern things like herbs and botanicals that people have used for centuries, different places. I love it. I have a very similar approach to fertility stuff. Like I think the things you put in your body and the toxins you're exposed to, you have one body. It's going to impact your ovaries and your eggs. It's going to impact your skin. It's going to impact everything. And so really trying to take care of yourself isn't just go get Botox, right? It's all the things beforehand that are going to make the biggest impact. So what you're putting in and that includes some of the toxins. So I think that's great advice about, you know, considering some of the like more mineral or like the physical blockers Mm -hmm. for sunscreen. Um, and obviously wearing a hat, do you recommend people like, I always feel like my dermatologist friends are much better at like 
the rash guards, like bathing suits, yeah. coverings, not just, you know, bikinis on like dermatology yeah. kids are usually the be- most well-covered kids when we see them. At I'm the- so bad. Oh my God. I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm like, so I actually, my pediatrician actually like Maya had this terrible tan line from her diaper and we were in there and I mean my kid is tan you guys I feel so bad she just tans really you're easily you're not tan if she like goes out to the pool she tans like in seconds I feel like she she has an olive skin like Italian skin like my husband and she my pediatrician takes off her diaper and she's like um wow this baby's tan and she's like are you a dermatologist I'm like oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> so but with yeah. the clothing and the physical blocker, a yes. right? Clothing yes. is a good option, especially like I, clothing that says it's SPF or things. Yes, like I absolutely. This is like a do as I say, not as I do sort of situation where <laughs> I, I, I personally do. I'm more careful about sun protection with myself in a lot of ways because I don't have that skin tone that, you know, that she does and my husband does. Um, but the sun protective clothing is great because you don't have to reapply it a lot. You don't have to, you know, get kind of hot and sticky and stuff. So anytime you can do the wide brim sun protection hat, the, you know, the long sleeve shirts and they actually keep you cool. I know a lot of people think, oh my gosh, it's Austin, Texas. I'm going to wear a long sleeve shirt. These are great. Actually, Yappa is a really good brand. If anybody um, wants a recommendation, it's like less, I don't know, cheesy looking. Like it's, they're like sophisticated looking um, sun protection athletic outfits that I really like and I don't, I don't work for them or anything like that. Just, a, <laughs> just, a, just something I like. Yeah. Just a resource. Um, so we're talking about prevention. So avoid toxins, you know, watch what you put in your body, physical blockers, you yeah. wash your face very mildly. So things that like, I always did like as a teenager, like scrubs and stuff like that. Is that like, okay, sometimes not okay. No, it is okay. Sometimes I know you'll get like kind of a glow instead of more of a scrub. What I would recommend is like a once weekly, um, kind of glycolic acid treatment or a mix of acid treatments. Um, they do some, you can just kind of like rub on, um, some are more overnight, any of those would be fine. So, I, I, but I think that glycolic's really great thing um, to work into your schedule once a week or so, maybe twice a week, and then a retinol every night. Yeah. So everybody talks about this. So to tell us. Yeah. So the retinol um, is one of the only things we have in, in skincare that really has a good amount of evidence for it. If used over the course of you know twenty years, they can. They've actually done studies where they've shown you know lower fine lines and pigment and wrinkles. So it helps kind of increase the rate of turnover of cells. So you get sort of that glow appearance um, regularly. But some people are real sensitive to retinols. There's some that are more gentle than others. And um, really, it's kind of trying what works for you. Some some of my patients can do really strong prescription retinols. I can I really can't do that. I will be like flaking off my skin. Yeah, like but- I use like the over the counter different <laughs> like once a week at max, and I still will get all peely from it. Yeah, same. I, I have the same problem, so I kind of sparingly use it myself. Um, but I do really like to incorporate the glycolic. So I think even if you have dry skin, I think that just helps kind of refresh and glow and. I think that's always better than just like mechanical scrubbing type of thing, like an exfoliation. Okay. I love all this advice. So, and then I'm going to kind of summarize it back up before we talk about your skincare line. So kind of your basic tips, you know, watch what you put in your body, lock yourself from the sun, gentle cleansers, not harsh scrubby things, 
uh, consider retinol at night. And I'm going to say, don't be afraid of, you know, fillers or neurotoxins in the hands of a board certified dermatologist or facial plastic surgeon trained in the face. And it's best just like you do this job to take care of people because you love them. So like our dermatologists want to have a relationship with their patients. So it's not something like you should want to have a relationship and go every six months and make yeah. this a long-term goal of how do I best take care of my skin? Like you, you would be willing to see a younger patient who wants Absolutely. to just be preventative, right? Yeah. And it is, it's, it's, I'm glad you said that about the long-term goal because that's really what it is. You know, a lot of times people come in and they're like, I want this and this and this and this, and I want to get rid of this. And you're like, okay, we need to see each other over the course of time. You know, like this is it. What you just said is like a two-year plan to do. And because building on small changes is much more natural. It's going to look better. And it's going to, you know, mean that that person, you know, everyone's noticing that they're glowing and they look younger and they look refreshed, but nobody's necessarily saying, oh, like you just had a bunch of work done in your face, you know? And, and so it's, it's so nice to have a patient that's willing to kind of go that, take that journey with you and say, these are my ultimate goals. How are we going to get there? And to have a plan over time is really, 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 that's the perfect situation. So I'm so excited about your skincare line. When is it going to be available? And you already told me about like the little biodegradable packets. That sounds like amazing. What, what all is going to be involved and like, where do you get it? When is it going to be available? Tell me more. How do so, I sign up? So it's, it's really exciting. This has kind of been something that's been in my head for a long time. And just over the last two years, I've really been pushing to get it done. Um, hopefully, you know, I'm hoping the very, that we're going to have things for holiday season this year for 2020. Um, yeah. So it's, it's looking that way. Um, the first product that comes at, that's going to come out is actually a daily use anti-aging serum for the vulva. Oh um, my gosh. Look at you. Yeah. yeah. I just, I was like looking around at Sephora one day, this is a couple years ago, just saying to myself, you know, we have products for our eyelashes, for our face, for our elbows, for our toes, for like there's something marketed to every part of a woman's body, but then we're missing this whole aspect of preventive care of the vulva, which I know as a dermatologist, you know, people come in with issues all the time. And, you know, of course you're an OBGYN, so it's even more for you, but, um, but a lot of times dermatologists could be the first person that diagnoses, you know, some of these vulva issues and, and the vulva is a really unique environment, right? Because we have these changes in estrogen as we get older and this complex interrelation between this microbiome and between our pH levels and, and all of these things affect our comfort level there and affect our health there. And so I found it really interesting that not no one it's felt like no one was really talking about how to be proactive yeah, about our taboo women's health issues here, right? Yes. yes. And I just also felt like, you know, all the whole me too stuff happening and a lot of focus on female empowerment. And when I think about female empowerment, I know the really, a really critical part of female empowerment is to take ownership of our own bodies and to not be ashamed of the things that happen with our bodies, to not be ashamed of like women's issues, quote unquote, to put those into our vernacular, into our um, cultural discussions. And so I, I think like, for example, your podcast as a woman, you know, it's a huge part of that, right? Because it's taking all of these things that have been happening for a long time and then we have feelings people have been having for a long time and actually giving them a forum to discuss it. 
And I think once you give someone that forum, the discussion will come, you know, and, and I guess I just felt like it was such an important part of female empowerment to be proactive about health of our vulva, to not be ashamed of touching our bodies, to put on the serum and also talking about the things that affect us specifically as women. So it was interesting because when I, I'd been working on it for a while and my dad was like, so what's this moisturizer you've been working on? Is it like a night cream for your face or something? You want to try it, dad? <laughs> so funny. I hadn't told him about it yet, really. And I, and I just had to explain it to my dad. It was this moment of me kind of having to put my money where my mouth is and say, yeah, this discussion needs to happen. And dad, dad, here's what it's about. And you know, here's my goal behind it. I want to empower other women. And he was just like, he sat there for a second. He's like, wow. It's like, how'd you think of that? It's really cool. <laughs> and then he says, you know what? He goes, when you were a little girl, it wasn't okay to talk about that stuff. You know, we didn't talk about down there. We didn't, you know, we kind of tried to make you ignore that that place exists, you know? Yeah. And, and he's like, that's just the way it was. And he's like, and if you can help it not be that way for other women, then that's something that's really important. It needs to happen. Yeah. I I love your dad so much. I mean, it's so taboo. I find women. So I see women with premature ovarian failure or ovarian insufficiency. You know, they're going through this early and they have these chronically low estrogen levels. They have all these bad side effects. And one of the ones that they're very ashamed to talk about, you know, is like the loss of, you know, the elasticity of the cells being super sensitive in the vulvar area, feeling like it's like deflated, you know, like they say, and this is all from low estrogen. Like that's completely yes. what it is. And when I'm like, Oh, that is because your ovaries aren't making estrogen and it is impacting the cells of your vulva and your vagina. They feel so validated. They didn't like make this thing up because they haven't really told anybody before yet. It was making their sex life so complicated and they felt a lot of internal shame and guilt. So anything we can do to make the conversation, this is your body and natural things happen. It doesn't mean that you're not allowed to seek out care or treatment and that it can't ever be better. That's exactly it. So I was thinking, you know, let's try to encourage people to just be proactive about their preventive health. Obviously it's not in place of if somebody's having a real, you know, issue, they might need actual prescription hormonal supplements or something to fix their, um, or help them with their problem they're experiencing physically. But there are a lot of, um, kind of herbal pro estrogen components to the, um, skincare product that I'm launching and some pro circulatory components and some hyaluronic acids and emollients just to help women have a feeling of comfort, you know, in that area. So I'm excited about that. So that will come out first and it should be in the kind of late, kind of early winter time. And then what's that product called? Have you named it? That specific product is called Poussants. Oh, I love you. It's so good. Okay. Sorry. Which is, it's actually a French and old English word that means power. Love it. I love it. It looks like some other words. I love it. That'll be your first thing. What else are you going to have? So then I'm coming out with five additional products, which is a complete skincare line, which is in the ones in the capsules. And I'm really excited about it because each product is linked to sort of a positive mantra or meditation to use when you are using the product. Um, My goal is for women to just, I want for beauty products to make women feel good. And a lot of the beauty industry has been a negative thing, right? Like erase this, change this, do this, change the way you look. For me, my goal is for women's beauty products to work with their lives, to be portable. You know, you can take all of your five skincare line products and 
the capsules for a week would fit in the palm of your hand. So it's completely works with your life and your schedule, but also just in terms of reassuring women that their beauty is so much more complex than the skincare product. While skincare products can help you to glow and they can help you to prevent, you know, fine lines and they can help you with pigmentation. Our beauty always comes from within. So my, every product is linked with a mantra to think about while you're using that product. Okay. I already loved you before we started the show and now I love you <laughs> a thousand times more. This is now officially the longest podcast episode that I have. And so, oh my God, wow. so, so the listeners have listened to all this, which they probably have, because you're so fascinating. <laughs> you just keep going on and on. So for sure, I'll have to have you back on the show. So I'll have everybody, you know, request what they'd love to hear you talk about again, but please, before we cut it off, I'd love to have you tell everybody like where they can find you, where you are on social, your websites, all of the places. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been so fun and I will talk your ear off anytime. So just let me know. <laughs> um, my website for my practice is austinskinphysicians.com. So I'm easy to find there. And then I'm also really easy to find on Instagram at Dr. Christina Collins. And it's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-C-O-L-L-I-N-S. Perfect. And so I will link that, um, in the show notes. So you will have both of those and then the skincare stuff, when you have it and you're launching it, will you sell it? Like, are you gonna have a personal website? Are you going to sell it through the practice? Where's that? So trying to get into some national retail deals. Ooh, hello, yeah. Sephora and Ulta. We're talking yeah. to you. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yes. So, um, so I will be updating through my personal Instagram for, for that. And of course I'll start my social media for that company pretty soon. Okay. So excited. Love you so much. Thank you so much. For taking thank the you time. So much. All right. Bye. All right, friends. Well, thank you so much for spending the time. I always love having you here. Please let me know of any guests that you would love to have. You can always follow along on the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford, MD, Instagram or TikTok at Natalie Crawford MD. And I'm always here to help teach you more. Thank you so much.